welcome to the podcast for St. Andrew's Community United Methodist Church, a loving, caring, overcoming community of faith where our mission is making disciples of Jesus Christ. Rob Gandy is a very wise follower of Christ. I haven't really talked to Rob probably in over 20 years, but he was someone that certainly impacted my life in a lot of ways. Whenever I had moved to Ada and became director of United Campus Ministry, a previous director of UCM actually said to me, whenever you get to Ada, make sure that you go and meet Rob Gandy. Rob was the director of the Baptist Student Union on campus, and he had been there a long time. He was a wealth of experience. He knew the highs and the lows and the rhythms that he could share with me. Uh, and for better or worse, he is actually the person that gave me five guitar lessons. So I had a good relationship with Rob. Now, Ada, like a lot of county seat kind of uh, towns with a regional university, had lots of churches, and it had its fair share of Baptist churches. The largest church in Ada that supported the BSU was First Baptist. They had hired a new director of student ministries, a guy that was young, he was a newlywed, he was excited to work with the high school students, but they said, we also want you to reach into the college campus and work with students there. And then the next larger Baptist church was Trinity Baptist. It was closer to campus, and they had a guy that was more experienced, and he was active on campus. He knew a lot of students. He participated in fellowship of Christian athletes, and, and both these guys, just they were kind of magnetic, charismatic personalities. So one year, the churches began to look, and they said, you know what? It, it feels like we're duplicating efforts. We've got two churches trying to reach college students, and we already support a ministry on campus that's reaching college students. What if we pulled our resources? What if we pulled student leadership together and we just really had one ministry? It's one of those things that makes sense on one hand, but I would suggest to you that it was not really well thought out how that was going to work. And so it's what uh, Rob and I came to call the Great Baptist Experiment all just going to be one big ministry. Now, we called it the Great Baptist Experiment after it failed because they went one semester and there were competing visions and competing things going on, and they said, you know what, this isn't working out. We were much more effective when we were doing our own thing than we are trying to do this together, so let's just go back and start doing what we used to do. Now, I don't know how they had planned to go about that either. I don't know if they were going to have a draft, you know, where each one got a, a number, and it's like, okay, I pick this student, and I pick this student, and I get this leader, and you get that leader. I don't, you know, I'm sure that wasn't the plan, because even if it was, it wouldn't have worked. Students were going to go with whoever they wanted to go with to be their spiritual leader. Some of y'all, if you can remember back to when you were 18 to 22, and you have your choice of three spiritual leaders to follow, who do you think you would have followed? Would it be the newlywed 20-something who really wasn't 
that much older than you, and so they understood what you were going through and what life was like, or, or would it have been the 30-something-year-old guy that uh, was still close to your age and knew what you were going through and knew the pressures and the stresses but had a little more life experience in knowing how to deal with things, or would you have gone with the 50-year-old whose kids had graduated from college? Yeah, that's what I thought. And that's what made me sad about it, is it felt like Rob was going to lose. Given those choices for spiritual leaders, Rob was the one whose ministry would be most affected. The good thing was Rob was the one that was most able to overcome any outcome that had. Whenever you pick a spiritual leader for your life, whenever you find someone that you think, you know what, I think this person could help me grow in my relationship with Christ, what are the criteria that you use to judge that by? What are the things that that you're looking for because we don't all look for the same thing in fact when people are looking for churches a lot of times there's the 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 hot church with the the it factor whatever it is <laughs> and that's where everybody's going let's be honest when saint andrew started that was our church we were the it church we were the new church we were the church people with uh were were flocking to come to. When we became older, there became another it church somewhere around here. So it's not like I'm being critical of that. I'm just saying that's a reality that we live with. Not being critical and mocking it, calling it the great Baptist experiment. There were some good ideas there. Again, my thought was it just wasn't planned well. A great idea with a poorly executed plan isn't always going to work, okay? And so it was that we can read about a church like this in the Bible, a church that had the it factor, a church that was a lot of hype, a church that had all the wow going on with it. They were the church that we read about and we're like, wow, but it was pretty wild to go to church there. And trust me when I tell you that that church was a whole lot different from the way the church in Jerusalem looked. It's not known by a denominational name. It was simply known by the city it was in, the church at Corinth. Now, Corinth is a city in Greece. It's a port city, so there's a lot of commerce, a lot of travel, a lot of, uh, you know, people coming and going. And, and being in Greece, it was ripe in that social structure of Greek mythologies, a belief in many gods. And so it was that the Apostle Paul thought, you know what? This is a place that we need to plant a church. Now, granted, the, the Holy Spirit said, I want you to go here and I want you to preach the good news of Jesus. I want you to tell people that Jesus is risen from the dead and salvation is offered to all people. And when Paul goes to Corinth and he begins to preach this, people begin to respond. They respond to the idea that there is one God, not many gods, and this God loves you and this God takes care of you and this God has a plan and a power and a purpose to share with you if you give yourself to him. And people responded well to that. And the thing about Corinth was they didn't just receive the gift of salvation. Among all the churches we can read about in the New Testament, this was a church that seemed to have an abundance of spiritual gifts that were manifested. Whenever we think of supernatural power, we think of the church at Corinth. Because when you read the letter that Paul writes to the church, it's pretty clear he needs to talk about that with them. You see, when... He hears about the church. You know, he, he settles the church and he leaves. And the first thing that he hears is, well, there, there's some problems. There's divisions in the church at Corinth. And the first part of division was, who's the spiritual leader? 
Who's your allegiance to? Who are you trying to follow? And some people who had heard Paul preach and he was the one that brought the gospel to them, they were like, Paul's our man. We follow Paul because Paul's the one that brought the gospel to us. But on the other side, there was Paul leaves, another guy comes in and, and preaches, and let's just be honest about it. He was a better preacher than Paul was. His name was Apollos, and when Apollos preached, there were some people thought, you know, we didn't really get it when Paul was here, but we get it now, and we're loyal. Our allegiance is to Apollos, and this was causing a problem in the church. Which spiritual leader do we follow? And so Paul writes a letter. He says, you people are nuts. That's not what it's about. It's not about which one of us came and preached the gospel to you. It's about God. That's what this is about. Follow after God. Other people are going to help you on the way. Follow after God. God's the one that makes all the difference. But that wasn't the only point of contention in Corinth. There was also the point of contention that, well, like I said, they had all these spiritual gifts, and they liked to show off with them. There were people that would say, hey, hey, look at me. I prophesy. And somebody else was, hey, hey, look at me. I speak in tongues. Hey, hey, look at me. I have wisdom and knowledge that only God can give because it doesn't come from a human source. Hey, hey, look at me. When I pray for people, they're healed. You know what the common denominator of all that is? Hey, hey, look at me. And that's what, again, Paul's trying to tell them, friends, it's not about you. It's about what God is doing in your life. And God gives you these gifts, and you need to use these gifts in a way that bring glory and honor to him. And so he writes that letter that we call 1 Corinthians. And the truth is, when he writes the letter, some people get it. Some people figure it out. But there were a lot of other people that still didn't get it, and there were still some problems. And so Paul, not being in Corinth, has to write another letter. It's a letter that we call 2 Corinthians. I want to read a part of that letter to you. This is where the idea of this series comes from, the idea that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. So if you would give your attention to this reading from God's Word. Because we understand our fearful, our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No. We're giving you a reason to be proud of us. So you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone, so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. You know, sometimes we all just need a pat on the back. Sometimes we need a, a word of affirmation. Sometimes we might accomplish something good, and, and we want people to know that's kind of what we hang our hat on. That's something that we feel really good about. We, we, we all get that way from time to time. And then there are some 
that that is kind of all they do. They brag about how their life is the best. They have the best kids. Their kids go to the best school. Their kids have the best teacher in the school. And if your kids don't go to that school and don't have that teacher, then your life is not the best. It's what we see on social media. Those of you that are on Facebook, have you ever noticed that very few people on Facebook say, man, I really have a stinky life? You know, it's, it's how grand and glorious it is and how wonderful it is. And, and sometimes that can give people envy. Man, I wish I had that life because their life is so great and so best and so everything. Um, and, and that's kind of what's happening in Corinth. People are bragging about their spectacular ministries. Now, you can brag about spectacular ministry that is based on what is seen, or you can brag about unseen ministry that comes from a sincere heart. And this seems to be what Paul is saying. Do I need to commend myself again to you? No, because you know that we're sincere. So we're not going to brag about how spectacular our ministry is. And, it, and, and right now I just want to say, trust me, there can be some spectacular ministry that is very sincere, and there can be some very sincere ministry that is very unspectacular. Not denying that. I'm looking at what the situation was and how that applies to us. And it seems like the people that were boasting about how spectacular their ministry were really lack sincerity. It, it's almost like if you could go to that ministry and you could peer behind the curtain, you would hear them say, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. You know, the great and powerful laws. Don't, don't look behind the curtain because then he's not so great and then he's not so spectacular. And that's what Paul is trying to help them understand because Paul knows that this church at Corinth has a, they've got amazing supernatural power flowing through them, but they also have amazing spiritual immaturity that exists in the church. And brothers and sisters, young believers are susceptible to the glitz and glamour of ministry that can delude them and take them down a path that they don't want to go. And, and I want us to hear clearly what I just said because I don't want it to be misinterpreted. I did not say young people. I said young believers are the ones that are more susceptible to being pulled away. I think young people even today have a, a fraud, you know, sensor or spidey sense about it. If something is inauthentic, I think sometimes they can sense that even if they can't identify it and say it what it was. I remember when I really understood that I was called to be a pastor uh, and I was willing to give myself to being a pastor. I was a senior in high school. I was 17 years old, and I said, okay, God, if this is what you want me to do, I'm willing to do it. Every day I still get up and say that, and I hope y'all are okay with that. So I you know, knew this is what God was calling me to do, but I had this overwhelming sense that I did not know the Bible very well. I mean, I had grown up in the church. I'd gone to Sunday school, you know, my whole life, but I did not feel like I really knew the Bible very well. And so if I'm going to be a pastor, I want to be the best pastor I could be, and I was spiritually hungry, and, and so I just thought, man, I've, I've got to start doing things different in my life. And that's when I made a decision. I was going to start listening to Christian radio. Christian radio in 1979 and 80 was nothing like it is today. 
There was no Air One. There was no Caleb. There wasn't the House FM. None of those good music stations that we listened to. The station I listened to just had a little bit of music and a whole lot of preaching and teaching. But hey, if you're wanting to learn the Bible, maybe that's a good thing to listen to. And I'm going to tell you, I, I am an expert on this. There is a lot of really bad preaching on the radio. I mean, I would listen to some stuff, and I'm like, how can they afford to stay on the radio? You have to pay for that airtime. I don't know why anyone would give money to listen to what you're doing. I mean, it was just bad stuff. And I'm, I'm not being overly critical. I'm just giving you my fair assessment, even all these years later, of just how bad it was. But in the midst of some of the bad, there was some good. There were some that I really liked to listen to, some that I really thought were kind of helpful. I remember this one guy, and, and he talked about ministry in Russia. Now, y'all have to understand, this is not the Russia of today. This is the Russia of the Cold War era. This is the Russia of the communist Iron Curtain. And we were raised to believe that Russia was this godless, atheistic nation. And this guy would get on the radio and he would talk about how they were smuggling Bibles into Russia. And that was just kind of exciting and had a, you know, a tension and a, an adventure. In it. And then he would talk about preaching in the underground church and how people were coming to faith in Christ. And he would talk about how miracles were happening in the church. And it was all very exciting to me to, to listen to. And yet, Something about the guy just didn't feel right to me. Because if he had a 15-minute segment on the radio, the first half was the teaching and preaching and sharing, here's what God is doing. And the second half was always giving a plea for people to support the ministry. That's typically how radio preaching worked. At the conclusion of each show, they would have an appeal, please support this ministry. We can't stay on the radio if you don't send your money in. You know, we can't continue the work we're doing in Russia if you don't send your money in. And so the last half of this, he had a, what was a growing in popularity technique for raising money. He would say, you know, we, we need your support and, and, and I feel like Somebody out there, God is laying it on your heart to send us a hundred dollars. Hundred dollars went a lot farther back then than it does today. <laughs> you could fill a lot of tanks of gas with a hundred dollars back in the day. <laughs> and and then it, he would faith his way up. Started at a hundred, it would end with a thousand or five thousand. This is what's going to happen. What he was doing was a technique that is very much a part of the beginnings of what we would call the prosperity gospel. And I want to tell you, the prosperity gospel is not an investment strategy that you should follow. You don't have the idea that if I give God $100, God's going to give me back 200 That's not how it works. It's really not even good stewardship, to be honest with you. I don't give to God so God will give back to me. I give to God because I have gratitude in my heart of what Jesus did on the cross for me and how God gives me salvation. That is my response, and I want to support ministry that put that out there. That's why I feel confident that when we put money, whether it's in our offering plate or it's in our mission offering, these are ministries that we're wanting to do because that honors who God is. And this guy, he just, he would get into his money plea. Mm. Sometimes I just turn the radio off. Sometimes I just change the channel. 
there were times I did that that I felt God was saying, no, go back and listen to him. There's something you need to learn. Oh, man. I was glad by the time I graduated from college, I had class when his show was on the radio because I didn't have to listen to it anymore. And then I went to seminary, and I didn't listen to it. And then I get out of seminary, and I'm watching TV one night. I think I was probably watching 2020, one of those news shows. And it was an expose on him. And it was saying that his whole ministry was a fraud, that when he would preach somewhere, he would plant people in the congregation so that whenever somebody needed to be healed, that person would be miraculously healed. He was just trying to bilk people out of money for ministry. And 10 years after that expose, I saw him on TV again with the same tactics and the same stories. Brothers and sisters, when we give our lives to Christ, we understand the Holy Spirit begins to dwell in us and do a work in us so that we're less like we were and we're more like God is. And part of God's sanctifying grace in our lives is that we begin to discern between appearances and realities. We begin to discern between what is authentic and what is fraudulent in the whole idea of what people do in ministry. We have to learn to, to sniff these things out. This is part of our transformation. And this was the problem for the people at Corinth is they weren't doing that. They were at the place of spiritual immaturity, so they're giving themselves to things that were looking spectacular but lacked in sincerity and purpose and the power of what God wanted to do. And if we really understand what it means that when we give our lives to Christ then this sanctifying work begins, then we have to understand it changes our whole outlook, our whole perspective, and our identity of how it is we understand ourselves. Because now we understand the task given to us, this mission of making disciples, this mission of telling people the good news that Christ has risen from the dead and now salvation is offered to all people, then we have to understand it changes our identity. Our identity is now that we are ministers. We haven't said this in a long time. Would y'all say this with me? I am a minister called by God, gifted by the Holy Spirit, ordained in baptism. I am a minister, and I offer my gifts in service to Christ. Now, those of you that may be new to St. Andrews, you may wonder what this is about and why we haven't said it in a while. I, I just want to say, if, if, <laughs> if you're new to St. Andrews and you ask one of our seasoned veteran St. Andrewians, is that what we're called? St. Andrewites? You ask any season, I like Andrewians better. If you, if, if, if you like, ask any seasoned person at St. Andrews, what does that mean? I could almost guarantee, if I were a betting man, I would probably bet money on this. I could almost guarantee you that what they would say is, we still really don't fully understand it. We just know the preacher doesn't like the word volunteer. And they would not be entirely wrong. It's not that I have a problem with the word volunteer. The University of Tennessee's mascot is the volunteers. The uh, idea of volunteer leads to volunteerism, but I've never read in the Bible where it says that we have a volunteerism that we're gifted for. The work of Christ, 
the work that God has given us to do, that God empowers us to do, that God separates us from other people to do, is the work of ministry. And ministry is done by ministers, not volunteers. And I realize if you've never thought of this, this can be an intimidating fact. It can be an intimidating reality. But let me tell you the basic, most foundation level of what it means to be a minister. It means that you are someone that understands that Jesus is not in the grave. He's risen from the dead, and now salvation is offered to all people. That's good news. That's what we share with people. This is, at the very basic level, what it means. It means we do not serve a dead God. We do not worship a misguided martyr. We serve a risen Savior, and he's in the world and he's in this place, and we're grateful. So if you want to buy into this idea of, hey, I'm a minister, how am I going to do that? I'm going to tell you at the outset, you're going to do it one of two ways. Way number one, you will do it the way you see other people do it. You will imitate their habits, you will imitate their language, you will imitate what they do, and, or, two, you will do it the exact opposite of the way that you see them do it because you were turned off by what you experienced. The fact that we are new creations in Christ Jesus, part of this reality is we're not the person we were before who used to volunteer. In fact, if anyone in the church ever comes up and says, hey, we need a few volunteers for them, I want you to smile as loudly as you can. And I want you to say, pastor said we have all the volunteers we need. Because we don't need any volunteers. We need ministers. We need people that understand whatever work you do to serve Christ through the church, whatever work you do to serve Christ in our community is ministry. That's what God has called us to do. And whether our ministry is spectacular or not, it must always come from a sincere heart. It's not, hey, look at me. It's, hey, Look at who God is. In fact, I think we can call that the great Methodist experiment. Would you all pray with me?